series that we did last week, Purging the Shame, will be found in Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Now, uh, this series that I've been going through for quite some time, it actually goes back to July of last year, and uh, off and on been doing it with the holidays and other things that have come up. But uh, why would I spend so much time here in Genesis? Uh, and the foundation. Why is this important? Why is it important to know, to look at the origins of this world, look at God, his commands, his love, his trust? Uh, and even here, if you think about shame, we're also, I mean, shame would also be with the conscience of man. The fact is, if we don't understand the fundamental principles of God's word, then the rest of the Bible is more difficult to understand. An experiment as an illustration which fails to properly create a solid direction of research. A solid direction of focus will inevitably produce faulty conclusions. I mean, if you have, you're seeking to study whatever, birds or something else, and you have particular characteristics or particular traits you're trying to find, uh, you have a hypothesis, you create your scientific method, uh, you create the parameters that you're going to look at. Uh, If you don't have that focus, it's going to lead you to some faulty conclusions or some, uh, some conclusions with which you don't understand because there's too many variables in there uh, as you are doing, as you are executing this experiment. If you are, the information you're seeking to gather does not have established methods, established metrics from which you are known, then unforeseeable outcome is likely. It produces results which are indiscernible. I mean, if, if you're going to do algebra and you have, you know, uh, 2x plus 5 equals whatever, right? 57. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> making up. But if you don't know... Uh, If you don't have some known variables in there, if you have all unknown variables, it's going to be a lot harder to come to the conclusion. The Bible has given us what is known, and as we continue to look at the Scriptures, there's some things we may not know, but based upon the knowns, you you can say, hey, this is what, you know, we have information, we work from a solid foundation. You need a foundation as your anchor for study. I mean, in Psalm 119, 160, thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. We must have a full faith in God's word without error. Because if your foundation moves, then everything else moves. If the foundation of this building is moving, guess what? Everything else in the building moves, right? Right? Last week we discussed shame, its origins, and its defeat, and a little bit of illustrations for you. Pattison describes shame as condition of being no longer united with God. It is a mark of separation, differentiation, and disunity that is inevitably experienced by all human beings. We all experience shame and regret. Shame as a mark of separation corresponds with fear and flight. Adam in his nakedness hid from God. Shame, he goes on to say, is also synonymous with the idea of covering or concealment as the fig leaf suggests. Here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, would you read with me 23 through 25, and then we'll look at verses 6 through 8. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Verse 6 of chapter 3. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So shame is synonymous with the idea of covering or concealment as a fig leaf suggests. He goes on to say this tendency toward concealment applies to people's relationship with God and with one another. Recognizing the other's nakedness produces conflict. Full disclosure of the self is no longer possible. Having complemented one another well in Eden, Adam and Eve braced for mutual brokenness outside the garden. End quotes. So shame and or regret is an emotion that surfaces under different names and conditions. 
But the underlying cause is a sinful reaction to a wrong committed or a wrong that you've experienced at the hands of someone else who's committing the sin. So, now, with, with respect to shame, there's several different things with shame. Uh, as I was doing a little bit more study on this and research and reading several uh, books and things on this, the first is a, kind of an appropriate shame, uh, or if you want to call it a good shame. It alerts us to a separation from God, much like uh, a lo- young little child. They're with their parents. They're in the grocery store. They look at a, maybe they're looking at the candy aisle, or they're looking at the toys, and, and mom and dad keep walking, and then all of a sudden, the child senses mom and dad aren't close. So they say, uh-oh, where's mom and dad? So they cry out, right? Potentially causing us to cry out to God for mercy. Hey, I'm separated from God. There's something happening in my life. And God, I want to be close with you. So there's a, there's a shame saying, I'm not close with God like I used to. I want to get back into that sweet fellowship. But then there's another shame, a bad shame, a shame coat, where we feel we're unworthy of love. We feel we're unworthy of honor. We feel uh, we have an emotion of inferiority. Like an inner torment, a sickness of the soul that divides us from other people, divides us from ourselves, it divides us from God. And it invites the soul to turn on itself rather than turn on mercy. But bad shash, uh, you know, bars us from life and someone looks at their shame and the separation from God and rather than going to God, they turn on themselves, they begin to figure out how in the world can I fix this shame by myself? Exactly as Adam and Eve did, with respect to the fig leaf. Now, as we think about shame, does the Bible give any indication as the cause of shame? Is sin really the cause? Are there any indicators for why I may be feeling the regret that I do? Though there's nothing inherently wrong in my life that I can see. Why can I not feel and know I have the presence of God in my life? What is the result of rejecting the shame for my own comforts? These are just some questions to ask. I'd like you to turn with me to uh, Psalm 119. And uh, as I was studying this, Psalm 119, in conjunction with this study here, uh, Psalm 119, the longest chapter of the Bible, and also right at the middle of your Bibles. Psalm 119. We're going to look at verse 67. We'll look at a whole bunch of verses here in Psalm 119 uh, this this morning. Excuse me. Verse 67. Uh, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. The shame of life is a tool that the Lord uses to bring us back into the sweet embraces of a loving God. Now, the questions and these questions that I just asked here and a host of others are simply asked, answered by looking at the pure word of God. Look with me at verses 9 through 11. Again, Psalm 119. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? So if you're talking about cleansing, there has to be, if you're cleansing, if you need to be clean, then what are you? You're dirty, right? There's a dirtiness. There's a defilement. There's some sort of something that's out of uh, position, right? I mean, if I'm coming to church and I fall in a mud puddle, boom, I'm all dirty. <laughs> I need to get cleaned up. I need to wash my clothes. I probably, if it's not fine in my suit, I've got to take it to the dry cleaner. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? What's God saying? He said, if you want to get through whatever that defilement is in your life, He says, listen, I've got the answer in the word of God. Verse 10, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Verse 18, as we look a little bit further, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of the law. He says, listen, if you want to be clean, it's from my word. If you want to behold wondrous things, as I spoke about last week in David in his sin with Bathsheba and the defilement and the shame and the regret for his actions. He said, you know, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. He would later say, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Again, we say, cleanse me, and then I want to see wonderful things. God would still do wonderful things in David's life. Psalm 119, as we continue this idea, Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. There's, that rebuke is to bring a shame upon the proud. Verse 22, remove from me reproach, right? Again, and contempt. What is reproach and contempt? As I mentioned there in the illustration that we had read about this rich man, if he began to fall into uh, disrepute uh, or fall into unfavorable uh, outlook by 
society or a crowd with whom he was seeking to please, uh, he was more prone to uh, the direction of suicide because in his mind, his image was what mattered the most. And God's saying, thou hast rebuked, uh, remove from me reproach and contempt. David's saying, God, I, I have reproach. The people don't like me. People have contempt against me, for I've kept thy testimonies. There is a shame that's here. And in this, we're not going to be able to talk about it this week, but potentially in, in another sermon, I'll talk about how to deal with our enemies, how to deal with this contempt, how to deal with reproach, how to deal with it when people are making fun of you. I mean, there can be healing. Verse 25, my soul cleaveth unto the dust. You know, that's a pretty bad condition. When in your soul, you're like, God, I feel like dirt. I mean, I feel like everyone's walking all over me. But then he says, quicken thou me according to thy word. What is, what is the word of God here saying? That word quicken is to bring to life. To, to make alive. He said, God, bring me alive, but how do I come alive? By your word. So in this place of our shame, the cleansing, the healing, the quickening, the reviving, it's going to come by God's word. It will not come apart from that. And we must get to the core of the problems if we want to get to the means of eliminating our guilt and shame. Look with me at verse 28. My soul melteth for heaviness, strengthen thou me according to thy word. What's he saying? He said, God, I've got a great guilt. In God's path, there is a delight to one's soul and mind. Understand this, guilt and shame are real. We cannot deny this emotion. I can't just try to shove it under the rug. I can't just try to go about life and get so busy that I don't deal with the guilt and shame. The Bible's saying, deal with the shame. But he says, deal with it according to my word, and, less, and listen, you can be clean. God's word is a solution. It provides the prescription of healing from the choice to not properly deal with our guilt and shame. And the principle this day is may we overlook the lies of shame to embrace the purity of God's forgiving and purifying grace. As you think upon these very truths this morning, I trust that if there's shame and regret in our past, we can't just run from it. We can't just hide from our shame and regret. And what I'm talking about is shame. Sometimes it's shame because of bad decisions I've made, or sometimes it's shame because of what others have done to me. But irrespective of the shame that I'm feeling, I still have to deal with it. It's a heart problem. It's, it's something in there that I have to deal with before the Lord. And here in Psalm 119, the Bible's saying, the healing comes by my word. As you have someone, a friend, uh, someone close to you that walks with you on that journey to overcome the shame, overcome the regret, and learn who you are in Christ, my friend, you can have healing. And we'll look further at this. We're going to go to the Lord and ask for His blessing. But I just want you to think about this as we, we study further I want to get a little bit more on this idea of shame and regret because this, is, this impacts every one of us. Every one of us. There's not a person that goes by that does not have a shame or regret in their life. But that does not need to define who we are. And so as we look at God's word, quicken me. God, bring me back to life. God, give me the joy. Restore to me the joy that only you can have. And you know what, my friend? When we lay it in the hands of the Lord, Allow him to lead us. We'll have done all we can. And let the promises of God do what only they can do. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you and I, I am thankful for this day. Lord, I am thankful. For Father, <laughs> there are things that we've all done, I've done in my past, that Lord, I wish I could undo or go back and do differently. And Lord, I can't. But the one thing I can do is I can lay it before the cross. And Father, I can find the healing that only you can give. So Lord, as we speak on these truths today, Lord, I ask you to lead my words, lead my thoughts, direct them. Father, I need you. Lord, I pray that this message would be one of encouragement and comfort. And Lord, that we'd know how to deal with the reproach of those who 
may slander and libel our names. Lord, that we would just be found faithful. And so, Lord, I commit this time to Thee. I love You. Thank You for being my Savior. Thank You for not holding against me the sins that I've done against You. But, Lord, You've forgiven them. As far as the east is from the west, Lord, I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed. And, Lord, that applies to all of us. Thank You. Lord, we yield this time to Thee, asking You to do what only You can. In Your precious name I pray. Amen. Just a little bit of review as we pick up from where we left off last week. In Galatians chapter 4, if you'd like to turn there, just a little bit of review. This is not a passage we looked at last week, but Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. We're all born in sin, all born in shame. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, Galatians 4, 4. When the, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. What does the law do? The law condemns. You break the law, the law says you're a lawbreaker. Galatians 4, 6, uh, 4, 5, excuse me, to redeem them, What's that word redeem? That redeem, again, as we mentioned before, the word redeem is as if God was buying us off of a slave market. So we're being purchased off of the slave market of sin. Sin will take you all sorts of places. Satan, it doesn't care about your soul as long as you don't come to God. To redeem them that were under the law. You're under the sin and shame of life. That we might receive the adoption of sons. You're no longer an orphan. You're now my child. You have purpose. You have value. You have security. You have significance. Right? Your <laughs> adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying what? Abba, Father. That is like saying, Daddy. I mean, when my daughter comes to me and she says, Daddy, it's not like anyone else comes and calls me Daddy. My daughter does. My daughter says, Daddy, and because I'm her dad. We called God Father, Abba Father, in a term of incredible dearness. It's a very endearing term. And then it says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, I'm not a slave, but I'm a son. And of a son than an heir of God through Christ. So we're born in sin. We're born in shame. We're born under the law. The law just says guilty, guilty, guilty. But what happens is we wallow in shame and we deny God to try to please others. If we stay in our shame, then what we're doing is we're rejecting truth. We're saying, I don't want to deal with the shame. I don't want to deal with regret. And I'm not saying that dealing with shame isn't a difficult thing. But if we stay in our shame, it will bring death. One gentleman states it here as an illustration. But how did they respond to shame? Uh, As Adam and Eve, they began by hesitating, plagued by terrifying self-doubt. They no longer felt confident to stand before God and each other unadorned and naked. Hesitating, in turn, led to hiding. Right? In verse 10 of Genesis 3, they talked about being afraid because they were naked. And then God would say, well, who told you, right? They hid themselves from God, from each other, even from themselves. They maintained their hiding places. They engaged in hurling. I mean, uh, Adam would say, you know, it was the wife you gave me, God. Eve would say, God, it was the serpent who uh, beguiled me. And the serpent would have nothing to say. But nevertheless, unsure of their own worth, they were afraid to acknowledge the truth about themselves. This gentleman goes on to say they directed their attention away from themselves by pointing fingers at someone else. The reason why I felt shame is you, and you, and you, and you. As a result, the breach in the relationship with God and with each other widened. Shame reaped a deadly harvest, end quotes. Shame or regret distorts and destroys our ability to reflect God's glory to a lost world. Purity defeats shame. One Lewis Smedes, I don't know anything about him, describes shame as a very heavy feeling. Its heaviness is rooted in the awareness that we do not measure up and maybe never will measure up 
to the sorts of persons we are meant to be. Thus, shame gives us a vague disgust with ourselves, which in turn feels like a hunk of lead on our hearts. End quotes. And every one of us, as I spoke about last week, we desire to feel pure. And sometimes it, things have happened that we say, I don't feel pure. And what are some reasons that the Bible gives us for shame? I want to go through several things that we can do in our lives that might bring shame. Now, as I'm talking about these things, I'm only talking about them as a means for us to, to talk with God. Say, Lord, is this in my life? We can't just say the shame I'm feeling is somebody else's fault. I am feeling this shame, so I've got to deal with it biblically. No one else can take the shame. No one else can take your emotions from you. They, you, you can temporarily distract from that emotion. You can have people that can make you happy to, to put aside the shame. But if we don't deal with that shame and regret of our lives, it's going to come back up. It's going to resurface. It's going to continue to create that separation from God. It's going to continue to create separation from other people. That we find here in Hosea chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, if you want to turn with me here, Hosea chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to go through quite a few verses this morning. This is a result of a study of looking up every word of shame that I saw in the Old Testament, various Hebrew words, uh, and then as well as in the New Testament. But uh, in Hosea chapter 4, they're one of the uh, minor prophets. Hosea chapter 4. Now if you want to know about Hosea, Hosea was a prophet that God said, I want you to go buy this prostitute. I want you to marry this prostitute. Oh, and by the way, she's not going to be faithful to you. <laughs> okay. Okay, Lord. Hosea chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If we don't understand what it is we're up against in regards to the sin, the shame, the regret, if my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, society will give you a whole bunch of different philosophies of how things are. But if we don't deal with it from the Word of God's standpoint, how can I get the quickening that God promises? The, the making alive. Because thou hast rejected knowledge... Right? If I'm saying no to God's word, I'm trying to do it my own way. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. That thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into what? Shame. Shame. Sometimes we wonder why there's shame, but the Bible tells us the reason. Anytime we seek to live life our own way, there's going to be shame. If a person's even acting in ignorance of biblical truths, or defiantly, unforeseen consequences will occur. Our world is feeling a shame. Uh, cr uh, Christians who are maybe out of fellowship with God are feeling shame, uh, and, and they're going to blame it, they're going to put it on all sorts of indicators in their life, rather than dealing with it themselves. And sometimes, as I said, ignorantly, people feel shame, and they don't know why I'm feeling shame. It is a sin. It's a separation from God. Okay, I can say sin, but what's the sin? What's the reasoning? And we have to begin to look at God's Word and say, God, search my heart, right? Much as David did, uh, you know, <laughs> search my heart and know me. See if there be any way in, wicked way in me. He's saying, God, you show me where the shame is. You show me where the regret is. You show me maybe there's a shame because of others, how they've treated me or violated me or whatever the case may be. But it's a universal law, as we find from the Scripture. If, we, if a person, you know, another universal law is if a person doesn't believe in gravity, I don't care if you're ignorant of it or not, gravity's still going to affect you. I mean, if I do not, if I've never heard of gravity uh, or, or uh, anything, you know, I don't believe in gravity. I mean, we all live in gravity. But if I don't believe in gravity and I think I can fly uh, off of a 200-foot cliff, I'm going to go jump off a 200-foot cliff. I'm not going to have any parasail. I'm not going to have any other equipment. Just in my plain clothes, I'm going to run and jump off a cliff 200 feet and, and, and land on some concrete or pavement or, or rocks below. What is the likelihood that I'm going to, to live? I don't believe in gravity. Will gravity still pull me down? You would say yes. You would say, you might even say he's crazy. Right? 
But shame is going to be the outcome. I mean, there's the Darwin Awards sometimes that people give out because people do some really foolish things. The Darwin Awards, right? People, many times, I guess it's these awards for people who do some kind of foolish things, and many times it doesn't end up very uh, positively. Uh, many times they would end up losing their lives. But um, as you think about it, a little bit of quote here, sin thus gives rise to appropriate shame, the realization of sin and bad shame, sinful attitudes that we impose on others. Shame is a consequence and a penalty for sin, but God chose to pay that penalty through Jesus Christ enduring the final act of shaming, his humiliation on the cross. He did so to bear the weight of all sin and shame. In his death, he destroyed shame's authority to define us. And in his resurrection, he raised up a new humanity who lived in the light, radiant, radiant and unashamed. I would like you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. My two favorite verses in the entire Bible, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, but um, there was a, it, the reason why they mean the most to me uh, and are my favorite verse is just a time in my life. I was going through some very rough things, and I just, uh, I remember when I was back in the military, and I was really struggling in my mind, and, and really trying to process what was going on, and I would be, run, we'd have to do PT, physical, uh, uh, fit, uh, physical fitness, and um, physical training, and we'd be running, and as I'm running, I'm, this verse is going through my mind over and over and over again, you know, and I was trying to think, how do I deal with life, you know, and I try to put the Word of God as I was uh, processing what, what I was enduring at the time, enduring sometimes because of my own foolish decisions, but Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, you know what, the first Adam's actions, the first Adam is in Adam and Eve, what did that bring? That brought shame. But the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, tells us it brought peace. Look with me, Hebrews 12, uh, <clears throat> verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, let's look at verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. There's been Christians that, that have gone on before us that have lived a, a successful life for the Lord despite the, the tragedies. Also, chapter 11 is kind of what it's referring back to. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How do I run the race of my life? Looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. He had shame, right, that they tried to heap upon him against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. We'll talk more about that, but I just want you to think about that. It was sin that brought shame. He despised the shame, and he still went to the cross. Innocent, and he still went. So we understand that, number one, shame is a result of sin. Number two, one of the other various reasons, we're going to get to some specifics here. One of the ways we can run into shame in our lives is our own pride. Pride is where you are the one, not God, who determines your values, your ethics, and your morals. Let's look at Proverbs. We're going to look at a number of passages here in Proverbs on this very thing. What does pride always produce in, at the end state, right? Proverbs 3.35. There's several passages here. We'll be in Proverbs for a number of verses. But Proverbs 3.35, when you think about this, pride Proverbs 3.35, the wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. What's fools? Fools are those who decide to do life their own way. Look with me at Proverbs 11.2. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. Proverbs 11.2, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. You know what? Life can be going really well. You can begin to go your own way. You begin to, you know, you used to be a lot more faithful to the Lord, and you're beginning to slide, and things in your life begin to maybe go a little bit away from where they used to be, and as they're going away, you're thinking, what happened? And, you know, and it could very well be that, you know, guess what? Prides begin to rear its ugly head. Shame is one of those things that say, hey, wake up. It's, a, it's kind of the check engine light. Listen, you're not where you should be. Sometimes we try to cover it up, justify. Look with me at Proverbs 18, 13.
He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Here's a man who's a know-it-all, so again, pride, it is folly and shame unto him. Proverbs 22.10. Cast out the scorner. This is the one who's making fun of other people, who's giving a hard time, and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. So I'm casting out someone who in their arrogance is continuing to look scorned. Uh, they're scornful. They're looking down. They're proud. I mean, they're above other people. They're just like, you know, going all this. It says, cast them out, and guess what? Reproach, strife, it goes away. So again, you get rid of the proud man, and division stops. If you have a bad apple in your work environment, you get rid of the bad apple, guess what happens? You have unity again. Here's another thing that uh, produces. Look with me at Proverbs 9, 7. Human correction for wrong living. <clears throat> Have you ever been going a wrong direction in your life? And someone, thankfully, uh, they had enough sense and they cared enough about you that they said, hey, what are you doing here? And you know what, sometimes the, the reproach, the... Um, the response of a believer, who are you to tell me what to do? Look at the wrong in your eyes. Don't judge me. <laughs> Look at me, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame. And he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. You know, there's someone who's a scorner, and they're in your workplace. Guaranteed, if you want to get rid of that bad apple, they're going to find everything and anything to try to just make you look like dirt. Saying, listen, if you're going to correct someone for wrong living, that shame, that correction that someone gives to you could very well be God saying, wake up! In Judges chapter 18, verse 7, Then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people that were therein, how they dwelt careless after the manner of the Zidonians, quiet and secure, and there was no magistrate, that means there's no judge in the land that might put them to shame in anything, and they were far from the Zidonians and had no business with any man. So this here in Judges 18 is a day and age of judge not. I just read about recently, there was a, a coach over in um, PEI or Nova Scotia who had some team members that were late to, to practice, and so he made them run extra laps. They fired him for it. They fired him because the kids couldn't show up at time. They fired him. You know, and he's, what's this, Judges 18.7 is saying, don't judge me, we all have our own errors. There's no consequences for your actions. None of us should feel shame. The Bible's saying, shame shows us that I'm not in the right position. Each man in Judges chapter 8 in Judges says each man did that which was right in his own eyes. What happened in Judges? The end of Judges is... You read the last few chapters of Judges, it's disgusting. There's a man who has a concubine, and uh, he goes into this city of the Benjamites, and uh, the men want him to come out to them so that he, they can know him. He says no. He gives them his wife, his concubine, and they violate her so bad, they kill her. He takes her dead body, he cuts it up into 12 parts, and he sends her body parts to the rest of the tribes of Israel. That's a really glorious, glamorous scene there. I say that quite facetiously. There's no one favorable. Don't tell me what to do. We're in that day and age. And there was going to be an increase in shame because you can't deny the conscience. I'll let you look at me at several other passages in Psalm 119. If you're there in Proverbs, go back to Psalms. You know, another thing that will produce shame in your life it's exactly what happened in my life. I began, I did devotions, and I was started devotions back when I was in university, and uh, in more faithfulness, more routine fashion. And then I got away from it when I got busy in, in, in the, my career uh, initially, and uh, it brought shame. I neglected God's words. Another reason we can have shame in our lives. Verse four: Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Old Psalm one nineteen verse five. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed. When I have respect in all thy commandments, what's God saying? He says, listen, if you listen to me, you're not going to be embarrassed. Verse 31. 
I have stuck unto thy testimonies, O Lord, put me not to shame. He says, listen, I can stay out of a lot of shame if I don't neglect God's word. A God-fearing person will see one's enemies one day be ashamed. Here's another thing that may bring shame in your life. Gossiping. The one you're in conflict may air your dirty laundry. You know what gossiping, when someone gossips about you, guess what it does? One, it might make you angry, but two, it can produce shame. You might have told in confidence what was meant to stay in confidence, and that in confidence became public, and what happens, it produces shame. Proverbs 25 tells us about that. Don't discover a secret to another, lest he that heareth it put thee to shame. There's also another thing, Jeremiah chapter 22, empty religion. In Jeremiah chapter 22, 21, I'm just talking about these various things because in our lives, uh, we may not understand why there's some shame in our lives and uh, why there's certain things going on. God, I'm reading my Bible, I go to church, I do this, but uh, what's going on in my life? Why is there this sense of separation from you? Could it be that maybe God's saying there's some things in your life you've never dealt with? We find in Jeremiah 22, 21, I spake unto thee in thy prosperity, but thou sayest, I will not hear. This hath been thy matter from thy youth, that thou obeyest not my voice. The wind shall eat up all thy pastors, and thy lovers shall go into captivity. Surely then shalt thou be ashamed and confounded for all thy wickedness. Jeremiah, here, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he says, listen, the pastors are only concerned with money. They're only concerned with status. They're only concerned, the people are only concerned, tell us what makes us feel good. And there's a, there's a love for idols over a love for God, and his people will be shamed into captivities. The pastors will say, good times are ahead, good times are coming. But the, when we get the truth from God's word, listen, if we look to the end uh, and we look to the Bible uh, before we get to heaven in the end, uh, you know, in our eternity in heaven with God, there's going to be some hard times that are ahead whether for us or for this world, uh, whether we, you know, we're not going through the tribulation, but there will be those, and, and we have to understand there's some really, really, really hard days ahead. And it's these false prophets, these pastors who are only concerned with money, concerned with their status, you know, and the people are only concerned uh, of their love for their idols and their comforts of life, and he says, listen, listen, bad days are coming. Understand this, if we persist in our materialism of life, we will have shame. Sometimes we can lose friends, family, we can lose others. These false prophets of Micah chapter 3, who you follow will affect you. If you follow the wrong leader, even the spiritual leader, it will hurt your life. Is it important that you follow truth? I say absolutely. God does not work to produce shame, but he allows shame from sin to bring us back to life. I like what, God's not a harsh leader. He's not a leader that shames us to make us feel unworthy. That is not God. The shame of Adam and Eve was a result of their decision, but God still reached out and says, listen, I've got a a way to fix the shame. When you deal with a harsh leader, people respond to self-doubt, self-hate, and shame in various ways. Karen, this lady, a believer, who had submitted to abuse from people and institutions because shameful feelings made her feel that she had deserved abuse. Shame calls for punishment, which is exactly what abusive leaders offer. If a leader is just coming down to shame and reproach, that is not... I mean, now, if you're in sin and, and, and the and someone's, and a friend comes to you and says, listen, there's some things in your life. Hey, can I walk with you? Maybe you're going the wrong direction. You know what? I'm thankful. I had some things in my life. I had some people that were there, and I felt a shame uh, when they would try to talk to me about it. But you know what? I wanted to persist in my sin. That shame was God saying, hey, wake up. Wake up, dummy. Wake up. I want you to listen to me. I'm trying to save you from future heartache. So he, God's not a harsh leader. So if we're in empty religion and you can go down life one way after another and you said, I don't know where to turn, I don't know what to do, 
God's saying, listen, get back to my word. Get to the truth. This is why doctrine is so important. There is, he said, and Deuteronomy, as we read in Sunday school, this idea, uh, Deuteronomy, just about my doctrine, and then you find the faith and other things. The scripture has what is truth. Now, one of the things that's easy to happen in our lives, uh, you know, is to become self-dependent. Follow your heart. Isn't that a popular truth, popular uh, statement made? Not a truth, but a statement. Uh, isn't it idea that, uh, you know, you can live out your dreams? Well, if your dreams are in opposition of God, uh, there's been times I've tried to do my dreams, and man, God shut a door in my face hard. I wasn't moving forward. I thought I could go a direction, but Proverbs 13, 18, look with me here. Proverbs 13, 18, if we try to be self-dependent, and I'm going to do life my way. I'm going to pick myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to do it. Now, there's oftentimes we can do it by ourselves, but there will come a point, there will come a breaking point. In Proverbs 13, 18, Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction. This is Proverbs 13, 18. Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction, but he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. If God comes to you and says, listen, and you feel, I mean, God's working on your conscience. He says, listen, you ought not to do this. Hey, you're neglecting me. You're neglecting instruction. You're neglecting the word of God. Please turn. And you persist. You're going to have some regret and shame. It's coming. Israel would be shamed to trust Egypt as they did Assyria. I mean, Israel went to uh, Egypt for help from Assyria, and, and, and uh, Egypt was like, we don't want your money, Israel. We're done with you. No, leave us alone. I mean, they tried to be self-dependent. There will come a point that your friends will be like, I don't want it. Another thing that will bring shame is rebellion to authority. Sure, it might feel good right now, but it will bring shame. Maybe I've heard stories of you know, a young girl that doesn't like her father's instruction, and so she leaves home with a guy, and, and maybe they get married in, in opposition of what the parents are desiring, and the parents are like, hey, this guy, there's some, real, there's some real markers there that I see is not good. Please, please, please don't. Get lost. You don't know what you're talking about. We're in love. Okay. And no sooner do they fall in love than real problems begin to arise and go down a very hurtful, painful past. Miriam, Moses' sister, would be humiliated for seven days for rising up against Moses, Numbers 12, 14. Should she not be ashamed? It talks about in Scripture. Another thing that produces shame in our lives is idolatry. You know what? Shame always exposes our misplaced trust in false gods. I'd like you to look with me uh, at Ezekiel 44.12. Ezekiel 44.12. I'm not getting very quickly through this, but uh, as we think about our lives... I know this isn't necessarily one of those raw, 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 encourage you type messages, but this is what it is, is it's saying, hey, here's some checkers, check marks. Uh, here's some items you might want to look at in your life and say, hey, is there some shame in my life because maybe one of these are evident? You could always ask the Lord, Lord, is this evident in my life? Uh, am I uh, feeling this regret for my life, a shame in my life? Because maybe, just maybe, I've lived in self-dependence, I've lived in rebellion to authority, I've lived in idolatry. And you find in Ezekiel 44, verse 12, because Ezekiel 44, 12, uh, Isaiah 40, <clears throat> let me read Isaiah 42, 17 while you're reading, getting the Ezekiel, but Isaiah 42, 17, they shall be turned back, they shall be greatly ashamed that trust in graven images, that say to the molten images, ye are gods. You said, I'm a Christian, I don't trust in idols. An idol is something that takes of my time and my resources. It doesn't necessarily have to be something you bow down to, but it's taking of my time and my resources with which I'm putting an emphasis on. It's taking of my heart, right? 
and I'm giving my heart to something or someone when my heart belongs first to go to God. Now I'd like you to leave Ezekiel chapter 44 verse 12. Because they ministered unto them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity, therefore have I lifted up mine hand against them, saith the Lord God, and they shall bear their iniquity. And they shall not come near unto me to do the office of a priest unto me, nor, come to, nor to come near to any of my holy things in the most holy place, but they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Here is the priests, the leaders, the the religious leaders in Israel leading the people into idolatry to make God less important. And shame would be what they would have. There would also be materialism is a form of covetousness, which is a form of idolatry. Isaiah 44, 9. If you want to look there. I'm in Ezekiel, but Isaiah 44, 9, They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit, and they are their own witnesses. They see not nor know that they may be ashamed. If an individual makes their whole life about how many nice things and how much money and how much uh, uh, you know, nice house or whatever education they can have, and, and that is their focus, and they neglect God, then God, then money, and the things of this world are their idol. And it will not satisfy a person, a man, a woman, can make their career, their money, their bank account, their education, their focus, and so much their focus that they get to the end of their life and they said, you know what, I should have, you know, if they get right with God at the end, they'll say, I should have done more for the Lord. Idol makers will be ashamed of their craft. Idol makers will be ashamed and confused. When you think about this idea of an addiction, that becomes an idol because it's impacting our, and it produces shame. I mean, there's oftentimes you talk to individuals who are stuck in an addiction, they know they're in the addiction, uh, and they say, I, I feel shame after I partake of whatever this addict, addiction is. And what we happen is when hard times come, Something happens. The person goes back to whatever that vice is. They go back to that addiction to try to produce some comfort and feeling of satisfaction to remove the guilt, remove the, re- the shame, and it cannot do it indefinitely. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, 26 through 27, as the thief is ashamed when he is found, so is the house of Israel ashamed. And then it goes on to say in the latter portion of verse 27 of chapter 2, but in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. They're saying, please save me, idols. Please save me, money. Please save me, health and wealth and prosperity. Please save me. Help me out. I'm feeling down. I just need enough faith in Jesus. I need, you know, and all this health, wealth, and prosperity idea. And the fact is, we've got to get back to God's word and say, God, maybe some of the shame and regret is simply, I'm out of fellowship with you. I'm not where I should be. Maybe I'm trying to put on a whole bunch of fig leaves in my life to hide what is creating what the real problem is, is their shame, which is a result of sin, which is a result of not heeding God's word. Idols bring shame. And the makers of idols will have no place for solace. I'll end there. There's still quite a few to look at in moving forward on this, but just some thoughts in your life as we think about our lives and, and shame. Shame is, I'm out of fellowship with God, and guess what? I need to return to fellowship with God. Now, if someone's been violated and have shame, then I need to get to the refreshing waters of the Lord to figure out who I am. I don't need to trust the lies that tell me I'm worthless, that I'm defiled. I need to get back to see how God views me. Whether it's shame, whether it's someone done to me, or what I've done in my own life, I need to get back and see what God thinks about me. Because that's where I'm made alive again. That's where I bring my countenance. That's where I find the joy for my life. Friend, there's other things that we can be ashamed of. Lack of being appreciated, right? Uh, There's all sorts of things. Unmet expectations. You know, you try to do something. People don't appreciate what you've done. The Bible talks about that. And... um, you know, shame, well, I won't, <laughs> I have a lot more here, but 
just for the sake of time this morning, as you think about this idea, Adam and Eve, they ran in shame. They ran the wrong direction. They tried to cover shame up their own way, and it only produced a greater fear. If this morning there's some regrets in your life, don't hide. Don't run. See what God's Word says. If you need help, I'd love to sit down with you. But shame and regret. We can always say, I wish I would have done things better. You know, there's things we said well, when I was younger, but we can't live in the past. We've all made the bad decisions, but it doesn't need to define our future. God says, listen, I want to quicken you. I want to bring you to life, and I'll do that through this book. It brings life. Please don't live in the shame and regret of the past. Let the healing words of God be the healing that you need to find your worth before him. It's an amazing thing as a Christian when we say, you know what, Lord? I'm tired of the shame and regret. I want to move forward. Maybe I've made some bad decisions, but my friend, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's healing. There's cleansing. There's purifying. And you too this morning can be clean. With all heads bowed and eyes closed with the time of silent prayer and invitation if you do not know Jesus Christ you'll never know what it's like to live above shame and regret you'll never know what it's like to have the purifying presence of the spirit of God within and I trust that this morning if you do not know Jesus Christ you call out to him ask him to forgive you of your sins and be your savior and if you're a Christian we ought to stop being self-made we ought to be self-dependent we ought to Stop denying the word of God and simply say, Lord, if there's shame and regret and you haven't asked God to forgive you, you haven't asked for his healing touch, and maybe you struggle with it, I'd encourage you to get in the word of God. If you like help in a little Bible study or discipleship to deal with that, I'd love to sit down with you because I want us to know that all of us do not need to live in the shame of the past or the regret. We can live alive, quickened by God's word and go forth and serve him. And that's God's desire for your life and mine. When you're done praying, feel free to look up and I'll conclude us in a word of prayer this morning.